And so I threw myself off a 7,000 foot mountain and I'd never been so terrified yet so free in my life. That was the shift between actually, wow, I can, I can do a lot more than I think I can. Those who are living a life of freedom have optimized themselves and their lives in pursuit of one thing, choice. They've created the financial, geographical and time freedom to do what they want, when they want to. But they've also created freedom from their internal limitations, their story, their biology and their character. In this podcast, The Freedom Project, it is my attempt to shortcut your learning curve to having total freedom in your life so you can go and do more cool shit. I'm going to bring you deep dives into some of the most inspiring adventure athletes and business owners in the world. I'm also going to give you the key concepts of my coaching process to adventurepreneurs so you can start applying that to your life today. So here is another episode of The Freedom Project. Alex Staniforth is an endurance athlete, adventurer and speaker. He survived the two biggest disasters to have struck Mount Everest, including the 2015 Nepal earthquake. He's also endured epilepsy, a stammer and bullying since childhood, but has turned this adversity into an opportunity. Today on the Freedom Project podcast, Alex and I discuss cultivating the drive to achieve excellence in everything you do, how to use adventure days to refocus your mind, how one question changed Alex's life, what people get wrong about Mount Everest, how to begin to enjoy the pain of endurance sport, and how to thrive in the face of adversity. So here is the wonderful Alex Staniforth. Firstly, man, welcome to the show. It's a it's a real privilege to be chatting with you. Hey, thanks, Tom. Really good to be here. Yeah, looking forward to diving into things a bit deeper. Good man. So, the two of us actually share something in common, and that is, I'm guessing, it's something that we'd both rather not share, and that is the fact that we got bullied at school. Um, we had a pretty rough time with it. I can now look back at mine and think, like, there were some absolute benefits to that in the long run but it's pretty shitty at the time. What was your experience of that like? Yeah, I'm very grateful for it as well because it was really formative and I think it, it became a driver and it still probably is a driver deep down somewhere in the system um, that I can use to my advantage. But when you're that age, being bullied and, and being victimized and for being different and for being yourself is, um, yeah, it's really horrible. It's, it goes against our kind of human nature to fit in and to belong, you know. Um, so how so how was it at the time? I think it was incredibly frustrating and isolating. And and I tried to, you know, I, I always, like most things, I tried to deal with it myself. Um, but when you're outnumbered or when you're young, you know, unless you get physical, it's not much you really can do. Um, so I did, I did get physical, you know, which got me into more trouble and probably made the problem a lot worse. And, and all that um but what it did was essentially give me a, a need and a driver to try and prove myself wrong you know having lost my confidence my sense of self-worth um and i've become very self-critical i then set out to try and you know disprove that you know and, and, and ultimately um that has now left me with both good and probably negative things you know good being that i've you know I, I don't kind of need to prove anything anymore, um, but 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 also that sense of if people 
people doubt me people tell me i can't do something that's probably the best thing they can do for me because it just makes me do want to do the exact opposite um and secondly it's made me very self-critical and i say it's made me that sounds very much a victim mentality but it really did create this behavior of of being very very self very hard on myself and my family and friends will tell you exactly the same thing because the bar is never high enough for me um and that needs to be kept in check so that's what are the benefits of of that mentality that victim mentality oh sorry not the victim mentality the the being critical on yourself benefits if there are any is probably achieving you know it's probably achieving higher you know it's that excellence and and always wanting to improve always wanting to develop and that's a very good thing as long as it's not out of proportion you know as long as it's not you know insatisfiable where you're constantly never happy with anything that's a very negative and unhelpful place to be it's also very miserable um so having a having a desire and a striving for excellence is great for reaching your potential as long as there is a feeling of good enough Hmm. it's an interesting paradox the desire to be better coming from a place of not being good enough and that's kind of like the fundamental human drive yeah maybe like that i've got to be more i've got to do more i've got to accrue more and if that's paired with some humility as well then it's a very useful thing um and also some confidence too um of like i I can actually make a change yeah i mean i think in human life our, our purpose is to keep on growing it is to discover that full potential um and to keep on growing because if we're not growing we're kind of dying really um but when you're at that point when you you know when nothing is ever good enough you know when the bar is you, you're never quite there you know always need the next thing um you don't have a chance to actually stop and reflect and on what you've achieved and be you know be satisfied with that then i think you you're just never going to feel fulfilled and that really affect your mental health as well so it is a paradox um and it's something i'm trying to work on that kind of you know um self-critical piece and not need not sort of needing that sort of validation um but i think it does go back all the way to childhood and so it's going to take a bit of time to kind of you know kind of you know i should rewire that whole pathway really getting into the tactical then how do you keep an eye out for that and can maintain that balance because it's not always the easiest thing it's not as maybe something i can't answer because it's still in progress but i think what has been fundamental for that is about focusing less on the outcome and more on the process you know if you if your goals are outcome independent then if things go wrong if you don't achieve it if something happens you're not a failure you know or ultimately the actual outcome is a tiny part of the journey you can still be successful you can still achieve and fulfill your potential um and discover new opportunities even if you don't you know reach that marathon time or you don't climb that mountain or you know earn x amount a year um i think if you could become more focused on process goals then it's not like okay you're casting your happiness and success into the future like when i get there i will be happy or i will be successful how do you make that happen right now and that for me is about the process and the journey and learn to enjoy that 
if it, you know, because if you just focus on the, on the main thing, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's healthy. Yeah. It's almost like you need it. This is what I teach my clients anyway. It's like you go through it once, the whole goal setting thing of this is what I'm kind of wanting to achieve. Mm. This is where I want to get to. And then it's like put it at the back of your mind and hold it there and kind of reflect on it occasionally. Use it as a guidepost of my head in the right direction. But the only thing that matters is right here, right now, what are the steps that you're taking in this moment? Because you're never going to get another moment. How do you maintain focus on the process like what are the things that you are um, maintaining focus on that are priorities for you i guess it depends on the individual process and the journey and and the sort of part of life that that's in um you know with every goal for example or every outcome um it's always then broken down into what would success look like then I'll break it down into steps again and steps below that and, you know, but sort of time basis as well. Um, Recognising that t- things change and, and there has to be some kind of flexibility around that. Um, I think I think having milestones is the obvious thing, you know, when I want to be or, you know, to, to break, to reach the outcome, I need to actually be very specific, like be very, very specific about that. And to bring that into the process, it's, I don't know, it all sounds very kind of um, kind of mystical, but I think it's, it's about having a, just, just having a feeling that every day you are making progress towards that outcome, that feeling. So what are the things that you're looking at to say, okay, this is a way I can make progress? So considering it's, um, what is it? It's a Wednesday when we're recording this. It's a pretty standard kind of office day. Like what are the things that you're focusing on? Do you mean in general or or... Yeah, in general, in terms of um, ultra marathons and endurance sports, in terms of um, balancing the kind of the real life mm. with the um, with the adventurous side, like what are what are your key inputs for today? So I break my life into four key areas, which is work, the outdoors, and adventure. Um, it's the charity and personal self development, um, and that for me is the best way I find of keeping balance. Is if I kind of have break my life in those four areas so i have different goal lists different habits different things for each section that way it's a, it's good for kind of versatility because if one thing isn't going well you know if i'm having a bad time of work if i'm injured you know if i can't pursue one area then i can means that i can split my time into different areas you know which i think it's so, so it doesn't feel like your whole world's falling apart um i think that separation allows me to know what i'm working on and allows me to allocate certain time so um adventure in the outdoors is a key part of my everyday life and routine um obviously work as well because that's what that's what funds all of it um and every day every week i have a plan i have you know daily goals and priorities and only this morning i was having this discussion debate you know, actually you know my mum is my priorities are, are all wrong. And I don't say that they're all wrong. It's just they're all juggling for the time in the light of day. Um, and at the moment, I'm trying to suss out what my biggest priorities are, you know, uh, because, for example, I was up at five in the morning. I went for a hill, we're not the old man of Coniston. Um, that was partially for work because I had to get some pictures for a client. Um, I had to get back for a meeting at half eight. And I was in such a rush that I stacked it. I put a dent in my car on the way back. Um, so I turned up from, for that first meeting late and a bit stressed. And the need to do that is because obviously I'm training for ultramarathon. Um, I've got to get back from work. 
and I'm trying to maximize that self-development time of actually for my mental and physical health, I want to be out in the mountains because it's a nice sunny morning. So I try to make, I try to combine them together. If I can kill two birds in one stone, that's how I generally manage them all. Um, but realizing that they all have to work together and often compromising, you know, to achieve one of them, I have to compromise another. Um, and I think having these four key areas allows me to kind of distinguish and, and choose which one is most important in that moment. Um, right now, you know, I'm navigating kind of a change in the charity. I mean, we so we hired a CEO back in February, so he's been amazing. So I'm just trying to sort of work out my role as a trustee and the founder. Eventually-wise, um, I've got 100K ultra in uh, two weeks. Um, I've got I can thank you at the end of the year. So that's two different goals of two very different processes to to, to achieve. Work-wise, I mean, you know, it's a it's about to become a very busy season of speaking. So I need to really hone down on on developing that. Um, and personally, I'm just trying to declutter my physical and mental environment. Um, you know, as well as traveling and spending as much time in the lakes as I can. So you can see why there's probably a bit of contrast there and a bit of um, kind of competition for attention. Yeah, absolutely. I also have like a four-part life that I I compartmentalize in some way. So and this is also the thing that I teach clients as well, so health. And for me, that involves um, anything that's prep for the kind of for the mountain. So getting out, building baseline CO2, movement practices, wealth. Um, so running the business, um, love, and that's family, the little hound who's down there um, and kind of friendships as well and happiness and that's the adventure piece for me right and i find that we can balance those really kind of nicely and, and also just having like almost one of my kpis mm. within this like what am i looking at that are markers of progress but also the major inputs that we're focusing on when you're thinking about your four key areas do you have a process for like reflecting on what am I actually going to do? Like what, anything from like a daily journaling system to um, a kind of an ad hoc. Oh shit! I'm, I know, I've realised that I'm I haven't been out in the mountains for a week. I need to actually do that. Like, is there anything like that? Um, very simple. Like it's it's nothing groundbreaking. At the end, well, at the start of every week, I do like a week plan and review. I what what went well last week. Um, what am I looking forward to this week? What can I improve? What did I learn? And it's just a few notes in in my notepad. Um, well, I've got this sort of special diary which has all the sections which I really like. Um, and then I have a habit tracker as well. So it's like that allows me to really check in week by week and spot spot little things. Like, for example, one habit is to be five minutes early for everything, you know. And um, I'm having limited success with that, but I know that it's about consistency and persistence and not giving up after the first two, three weeks. Um, and so that reflection comes when I do that. And generally it's every Monday morning, um, unless something, you know, unless I'm away or something's happening. Um, and if I'm finding myself in a bit, bit of a, a mental block, if things don't feel right, if I'm really not happy or stressed or productive, you know, then generally what I, I find I need to do is just do what I call, you know, kind of a mind dump. And I'll just get some plain paper. And I'll say, I'll just literally write down what are my biggest challenges and worries right now. And I can write pages and pages and pages of of, of what-if scenarios and, and, and this, and I'm worried about X, Y, Z. Um, 
which could be anything from you know why am I not getting bookings or why am I you know um, you know am I training enough for this event or um, it, it, it can be really small and big things and a lot of these things aren't actual real problems they are concerns and hypotheses that I've made in my head um, but I think doing that often allows me to identify what's real what's a genuine problem and actually then to find some solutions um, you know and one thing I've recently in the last week is discovered is like how do I find this work adventure balance um, because if I'm out there all the time just because it's the sunny forecast in the Lake District. This is the problem when you live next to the lakes and the mountains is, is when it's a nice forecast, you don't get much work done. How do I find that healthy balance so that I don't actually create stress and angst? Um, and it's simply by trying to go out first thing and last thing. So the daytime is like focused work time. And also, if I get to the point when I'm doing it because I feel I have to rather than because I want to, I'm not actually enjoying being out on a swim or on a run or something just because it's a nice sunny day and I'm actually knackered and I just don't want to do, do it. That's when I sort of noticed that actually I need to really cut back on one thing. Um, yeah, yeah um, with my stammer as well, that's a very good indication. And for example, yesterday I went to collect something and couldn't say my name. That's a real trigger for me that I'm tired physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and so I've sort of cancelled a few things this week and a few meetings because I'm just, I know I haven't got capacity for that. It's tough to have that structure and discipline and the boundary setting aspect. Yeah. That's something I have to teach so many people I work with. And it feels like a confinement when you start it. It feels like you're putting up, I always say, it's like you're putting up bars around you. And initially when you're someone who's engaged in the mountains and freedom and the pursuit of adventure, it feels like those bars are prison bars. Like they're restrictive, they're holding you back, and it feels oppressive in a way. But actually, that's scaffolding to build a larger structure that gives you stability and the opportunity to grow. Have you always been that structured, or is that something you've had to learn? It's really interesting because I was reflecting on this only a few days ago. You know, like my family are very, um, I, I say they're very much kind of go with the flow type people, um, and I'm very ritual, like very you know, almost military in terms of, you know, scheduling, precision planning. Um, I need to know timings. I need to know where, when, how, because for me, that's the way to optimize and to reach our full potential and to get the most out of every day. Um, I think otherwise you kind of react to things, react to moods, react to emotions, rather than actually having an objective that, motiv you know, that, that kind of motivates you to, to, to get stuff done. Um, so that would you know that kind of that kind of go with the flow approach would really stress me out um and i would say i mean i you know i've been self-employed for eight or nine years um i've lived on my own for four and a half years and um and so well but well before then i've always been very structured but i think i think it's it's in my nature that i am very detail-oriented um i have a desire and a a drive to to make the most out of every day to make progress on my goals every day and i think unless you have a plan how on earth are you going to get there um you know and at the same time though one thing i've recently started to try and or you know i have started to implement is every week having like you know 
what I call my uh, adventure day, where I have a day without any agenda. Now, I have an objective, which might be to go and run a silly distance or swim X far and visit, you know, two new places in the Lake District. But I'm finding, um, especially since kind of long COVID, which I've been recovering from for over a year now, um, I've had to really learn to manage my energy and my time much better. And energy more than time, because, you know, I think that energy, um, you know, is not infinite. Um, and part of that process was actually having complete days off, which I've never, ever had before. Every day is a work day. And when you're self-employed, every day feels like a work day anyway. Um, but I was finding that to be able to start training again, my body and my mind needed a complete day off, or at least off anything strenuous. I might sort of do a bit of admin on my laptop, but just not having any agenda. Um, and I actually really enjoy those days sometimes, you know, um, you know, when I was uh, I, I was away all day on Friday, I didn't get home till three in the morning um, and Saturday was my adventure day. So I went, for, oh, I mean, to be fair, I did a 32 mile run, but that's my way of switching off because I knew that mentally I couldn't have the focus or the, the concentration or the energy to do anything creative. So I just needed to run all day. Um, so yes and no. Yeah, I've always been very structured. Um, but increasingly recognizing the time for, you know, just having nothing on the agenda and just being in the moment. Really nice. What have your best adventure days looked like? Um, if it's a nice sunny day in the Lake District and I can run and swim and get a nice, you know, a nice kind of bluebird day and it's warm, um, have a treat, some ice cream or some nice cake or something as well. It's about the components, you know, generally on my own, um, but generally just combining sunrise and sunset in the hills is my magic, you know, and, and that's why I've been trying to kind of coerce myself up in the mornings now to make the most of these kind of, well, before the dark nights drawing, um, getting a sunrise on a mountain and running down and jumping in a tarn or a waterfall is just my idea of heaven. And I think it really grounds me really well. Okay, so here's the... The reason most people don't end up doing that and taking their adventure days because they think that it's going to take some time off their ultimate goal or it's going to slow them down or it's going to kill momentum. What have you found that those adventure days do for your um, productivity and also your, I suppose, goal pursuit? Um, I guess it depends on when I take them and, and what they involve because sometimes I feel like I've just kind of to the day depending on on what i've done on that adventure day if it felt like i needed it and i embraced it then it's a massively positive experience and, and what i find it it does it just mentally recharges me like one thing that one task that i would avoid doing or would take me two or three times as long um i just find i have an energy just to really push through that and get things done um and when you tick off those big things or those big things that you've been putting off, it creates that sense of momentum more than I had before. Um, it's about experiences. It's creating experiences and memories, you know. And I think on Saturday, for example, mentally I was exhausted. Um, and I was I was quite clumsy on the run. I was falling over a lot and things because just mentally I couldn't think straight. Um so had I been at home trying to work through that, I would have probably got very little productive stuff done. Whereas on a Sunday, I had a really productive 
catch-up day and although I was a little bit knackered on the Monday Tuesday that was the effects of probably doing a 30 mile run and then you know a big day on the road um I think I would have gone into the gone in into the week flat feeling flat without any energy I would have started that week with the batteries at about probably 20 percent as opposed to 80 percent um and that obviously for itself from a productivity perspective is um is obviously not good if it goes the other way, I, I do too much adventure stuff, then I find to get to the point when I'm actually so knackered that I'm not productive and I'm not actually enjoying it. So it's just being very in tune with how you're feeling, I think. Um, but, but, but on the whole, you know, I think not having an agenda um, allows you just to be in the moment. And I think after my frog rain round a few weeks ago, what I needed was just to actually sit by, by a lake and just watch the world go by. I didn't want to swim anywhere. I didn't want to run anywhere. Just actually stopping. And it's so hard to do that. I think, as you say, because we're so distracted by life and our phones. Um, it's, it's, it's an alien skill, but it's so, so good for us. Just a quick one from me. If you haven't already downloaded the Adventurepreneur's Ultimate Route Planning and Navigation Guide to Absolute Freedom and Doing More Cool Shit, what are you waiting for? In this totally free guide, I give you the frameworks that I've taught to hundreds of adventurepreneurs that set their life up for more freedom so they can get out and live a life full of adventure. It's going to teach you how to set your days and weeks up in order to maximize your time doing the things you love and how to perform at your best day in, day out and burst through your limitations. It's packed full of actionable steps and you can get it by going to bit.ly slash adventure.nav. Once again, that's bit.ly slash adventure-nav. Beautiful, dude. Really beautiful. I could go into Adventure Days all day, but I want to bring us back on topic because I've already gone off on a 25-minute detour on the the conversation plan. Talk to you about growing up, um, what that was like, in terms of like your stammer and also in terms of epilepsy? I mean, compared to some people, I had a, I had, I had quite a lot of challenges going through school. Um, you know, it was a pretty unsettling time for me. So in a nutshell, I was I was brought up in Chester. Um, I'm an only child. I had a I had a very normal and comfortable start. You know, my parents gave me everything I needed. And I was really fortunate for that. Um I had a mild form of childhood epilepsy, which kind of came out of the blue after a few seizures. And that was soon kind of controlled by medication. And, you know, I've been seizure free now uh, ever since. Um, but that was really just a catalyst for different challenges. How old were you then? I was about eight or nine years old. Okay. So about 20 years ago. Um, and I remember having anxiety and panic attacks you know as a result of having those seizures at such a young age very very health conscious i've had a stammer all my life so even before that i've never really known life without that um which made school and socializing and everything just incredibly stressful um and really trashed my confidence along with all the bullying which we obviously mentioned you know being different makes you a target and um that that was certainly myself and then just a general lack of confidence there was no it, no certainly no passion for exercise like i have now i mean now my life is fundamentally built around 
you know, challenge and pushing the boundaries. But I hated exercise. I mean, I was hopeless at sports at school. Um, and I think that was that was my childhood. You know, we spent a lot of time away in North Wales in a caravan and and you know, you know, on the beach and traveling and things, and a lot of time in nature, but not like to extreme amounts now. Um, but I guess to to kind of sum all that up now in reflection. You know, there was a lot of victim mindset, you know, never feeling good enough, believing I was born to fail um, and definitely not, definitely not having the ambitions and the sort of drive that I have now. When did that begin to turn around? I'm guessing, I'm going to guess there wasn't an exact turning point, although you may prove me wrong. Um, but what kind of stage did you begin to to shift things? I think it was more gradual. There was a couple. There were a couple of of, of shift moments. Um, the first first one when I was about fourteen, I was on holiday in Turkey with my mum, and I saw something called paragliding, which is quite an extreme sport, especially when you're fourteen and you you know you like you know suffering from anxiety and panic attacks. Um, but I'd always I'd always been interested in flying uh, from a young age, and think. When you're growing up, you kind of have all sorts of goal, kind of jobs and careers that you want to be when you're older, and some of them are probably more appropriate than others. And uh, one of them was a pilot. Um, and I remember just having this urge that I I had to try this, I had to do this. And I don't really know where that confidence came from. I, I really still don't quite know where it came from, other than just this built-up frustration of being held back by other people around me, but also you know, the, all these health conditions. Um, and so I threw myself off a 7,000 foot mountain and I'd never been so terrified yet, so free in my life. That was the shift between actually, wow, I can I can do a lot more than I think I can. And then it was this real curiosity to sort of find what was next. Around the same time, I then went hill walking in the Lake District with my friend Tom and his family. And again, something I would have normally said no to, but started saying yes to more things. And being in the hills, being in the lakes, just blew my mind, you know, and really inspired this question of, well, where's Everest? And I remember coming home and going online and researching it and, and climbing Everest just captivated me. You know, it, it seems to be the ultimate thing to achieve. So they, they were the two key moments that I think changed, they changed my mindset. And by changing your mindset, they can change your whole direction in life. It's amazing how there's something inside of us that recognizes this is meaningful to me because for so many people, paragliding doesn't mean anything to them. Um, for like, like if I look at, I'm pretty into a lot of adventure sports, but the idea of free diving, I'm just like, no, like that, that does not seem appealing to me. Um, so there's like certain things within us that we're like, that is I'm attuned to that in some way. What was it about adventure as a whole, but paragliding and also the concept of Everest that you think you resonated with? Um, I think freedom, firstly. And, you know, what I, what I think really appealed about it all was the fact that it was just me versus the environment. Like, no, I wasn't kind of dependent on other people's approval or, um, you know, 
I didn't I didn't have anything where I could doubt myself because ultimately only I could get myself in and out of that situation. And therefore that was real confidence builder. Um but it, I think at the time it literally was that thing around just it was a way of being different. And you know, you go you you go through school desperately trying to fit in. And by the end of it, everybody desperately wants to stand out. And for the first time, I wasn't afraid of being different anymore. In some ways, it was like a massive middle finger to all the bullies. Um, and that's not sustainable, but at that age, it, it felt pretty good. Um, and even now, I see that I see that in myself quite often, where if I get doubted or somebody tells me I can't do something, um, it almost flicks a switch back to when I was at school. And they think, yeah, I'll show them. Um, and that can, that, that can be helpful in small doses, you know. I don't think there's anything specific about paragliding or mountains other than, you know, that was just what appealed at the time. You know, for example, a couple of years ago, like the thought of doing a hundred mile run, I would hate it. The thought of to swim across an open lake, I would hate it. But now I just can't get enough of it. So I think we evolved naturally. But with paragliding, it was probably that kind of combination of flying that I was already interested in. You know, me and my granddad used to watch the planes at Manchester Airport when I was a kid, which kind of inspired that kind of where the interest came from and with Everest I think it was because it was the highest because it was the pinnacle and it just I just saw a photo of it and it just it just grabbed me and I can't explain why mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is the case with you at all but whilst you're talking it made me think about what it is with this my own interest in this and where that came from and having had similarities in our background the thing that adventure gave me and this is a very fine line to walk but the thing that adventure gave me to myself anyway was status it was like oh okay you're not a piece of shit you have a bit more to to you and that's what ultimately led me down uh the royal marines road um ski touring mountaineering like that's what was the thing that was made me go okay i'm into this because see i'm not a piece of shit on your shoe i'm a bit there's more to me than that and i think that was mostly for me compared to other people totally relate to that i think that's a really good way of putting it because i think if i'm being really honest with myself it was a lot about that um you know doing things that other people weren't doing and being recognized for that was a massive boost to my self-approval um having never had that you know um over time as i've got older i realized that i didn't really have anything to prove and also if you're relying on that then it's never sustainable because you're always going to have to keep doing the next thing and the next thing um but i think over time i've healed a lot of that but definitely as a kid um yeah it was status because i didn't want to be like everybody else yeah we like you've spoken about everest in plenty of places what's the thing that most people don't understand about everest about everest as a whole or about my own the objective and what do most people get wrong what did most people not ask you about that they Mm. they should do well it's probably important to caveat that i've not actually summited so i i went in 2014 when i was 18 um first attempt was cancelled after a big avalanche uh sadly killed 16 sherpas just above the ice fall um and then 2015 we went back uh, for a second attempt and that was when the earthquake hit the port so we were 
on the mountain at Camp One for two days, you know, trapped over 6,000 meters. Um, and sadly, 22 people died, including three of our own team and over 9,000 people across the port. So obviously that didn't go to plan either, but, you know, dreams can be replaced, lives can't. Um, so I'm, I'm not really qualified to sort of say what it's like to climb it. But what we do here time and time again is all the things around, you know, all the crowds and all the rich climbers and all the bodies and all the litter and, and all that thing. And I think it is a shame how Everest is becoming a lot more commercialized. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it's still the highest mountain in the world. It's still a massive challenge. And I think, you know, I think there's, like most things, there's a small minority kind of tar tarnishing it and the experience and the people in Nepal um for you know for the majority people are often quick to say oh you know it's just you know it's just a tourist trap and you can pay x amount and you can be just be kind of you know pulled up the hill and there's people there that shouldn't be there definitely there are people there that shouldn't be there but as our leader always said to us you know you're the only one who can put one foot in front of another doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you pay nobody else can can take that for you and I just don't want people to undermine the achievement and what goes into actually getting there just because of what they've heard on the media, which is generally using photos that have been kind of, which are about six years out of date. Um, and they don't realize as well, just how much goes into these house rescues, you know, um, the amount of resource and time and manpower it takes to, to get somebody down um, is, is bigger than people back home are aware. You know, just to keep yourself alive, altitude is a challenge. Um, so it, I think generally it's just it's it's people perhaps don't appreciate just what goes into it and and how much sacrifice people make to get there in the first place. Yeah, it, that's a really interesting perspective. It's a really interesting perspective. How were you when you got home from those two attempts? First time at 18, you know, I'll be honest, I was a bit peed off. I think naturally I was naive enough to think that, you know, the harder you work and the kind of lucky you'll get. We're always sort of taught that at school, you know, kind of, you know, effort equals grades. Sadly, the mountains don't work in the same way, you know, and quickly I realized, okay, this, well, first and foremost, I'm going back home to say to my family, you know, I've got no right to complain here. Um, I'm not a victim. Secondly, it's like, okay, where's the opportunity? I, how do I learn from this? How do I grow from this? How do I focus on what's in my control to come back and, you know, give it a better chance? Um, and the quicker you can reframe it rather than blaming, the sooner you can take responsibility of that, the quicker you move forward. And I think that was the first key lesson. So after feeling a little bit peed off about what happened, there was a lot more politics involved. But actually, that's what actually stopped the climbing, not not actually not the actual avalanche. It was all the politics that kicked off. Um, that's what I was annoyed about, as a lot of people were. Um, it was right. Okay, where's the opportunity? So I spent a year, you know, focusing on training, doing more endurance challenges, just to build that mindset. Because Everest is probably ninety percent mental, only ten percent physical. Um, so I, in some ways, I was very grateful that I had the chance to really hone in on that for another year. Um, secondly, well, second year round um, was obviously very different because we were obviously involved in this traumatic event. Um, we lost three of our team. You know, had we not left base camp that morning, we probably wouldn't be having this chat now. And at 19, you can't really train for that. 
um, you know, having that kind of sort of near-death experience, you know, is it it's life-changing. Um, and again, there was no sense of like any resentment. It was just gratitude, really. But at the same time, it was also guilt, you know, guilt of why them, why not me, and. I think initially there was a lot of post-traumatic stress that I'd never really dealt with properly. I just kind of put all that in a box. And as soon as I got home this time, it wasn't, it, there was no, wasn't even the thought of the goal. The goal was gone. I didn't care about that. It was a real loss of purpose and identity. And, you know, because my life had been revolved around this one goal for sort of five years, which isn't a long time. But when you're only 19, it is quite a big chunk of your life. Um, so there was a real loss of identity and depression and probably the lowest point of my life. But what I instinctively did was focus on, again, what's the opportunity? You know, how do I use this as a way to make a difference? I mean, I, I was saved. I had an obligation to tell the story, to try and support the people in Nepal. So, you know, I threw myself into fundraising. I, I started speaking, which has now become my full-time work. Um, I wrote my first book. I, I was doing so many different things, you know, racing to one thing after the next and after the next, 100 miles an hour. And I think it was partially as a bit of an avoidance, you know, trying to avoid what happened, trying not to process that and trying to feel the sense of, like, you know, you know, kind of why, you know, why have I been saved and feeling kind of worthy of that um, when I didn't really need to, to do that. But, um, yeah, it was a really traumatic time. I think looking back at the end of that, I, I just completely broke down until I realized that, you know, I couldn't keep running away from it forever. Um, so there was a, that was a real identity change. But again, I'm grateful that it's happened to me because it's given me a perspective in life that so many people don't access or they don't access until they're a lot older. How did that change your identity? I think firstly to realise that, you know, my life was more than just a mountain, you know, and it's helped me to realise that, you know, life is fragile. We're all on borrowed time. Um, there is this kind of illusion that we have lots of time in life, lots of rush, you can do this X, Y, Z, follow the process. And it actually reinforce that drive to do stuff to do more to achieve my full potential and the the real change was was that i didn't need everest anymore what happened on the mountain and everything after that made me realize actually it's about leaving something bigger behind you know it was that question of had i been at base camp in that tent you know ripped apart buried under a piece you know buried like a you know a piece of paper torn apart um what would i have left behind and it's almost like having a midlife crisis at 19 you know um and that was when it's more about okay this is now is about using my own story and challenges to help other people like that was my purpose instead because if you're always focusing on the next goal the next goal you're never going to be fulfilled in life um it, we all need goals for sure they help us to have that direction and just to sort of check we're on track but it has to be something bigger than that um so then it was about okay trying to find ways of using that to help other people still doing challenges but they were part of that mission rather than the mission if that makes sense um mm -hmm. and then you know i started to focus more on 
ultra endurance in the UK, you know, because I found that I could make a bigger difference close to home than flying half across the world. So why ultra endurance? I've always enjoyed running or that was one of the first sports that I kind of discovered when I discovered the outdoors. Um, it's the only sport I'm probably built for. I'm any partially good at I, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm literally hopeless at, at most sports. I'm not built for anything else. Um, and running has been my medication, my therapy. You know, I, I love the competing side of it as well. I love the training. I love being out. Um, my mental health goes downhill when I can't do that. Um, and ultimately, it's a way of finding a new Everest. You know, in ultra endurance, it is your body and your mind versus the elements. There are so many things on high altitude mountains that are outside of your control. There's the weather, there's avalanches, there's Sherpa protests, there's politics, there's the altitude. Um, in endurance, it really is discovering the, the essence of what you're made of. And what I found is there's so much stuff we can do in the UK. There's a venture over here that, that people haven't discovered. Um, and it sounds a bit sadistic, but I, I kind of enjoy the pain. I mean, the more pain, the more, you know, the more money, you know, I raise for charity. People want to see, want to see you suffer nowadays. So you have to think of more silly things. Mm-hmm. Is that what keeps you going then? Or is there something else that keeps you going in those difficult moments? Like, cause I'm sure the charitable endeavor is a huge part of it, but there's a reason you're running as opposed to doing a billion other things that you could be doing. Like, so like what keeps you going in that? those in that pain cave i think ultra endurance it has been mostly running but obviously there's also been cycling and walking and swimming as well so just as long as i'm outside as long as i'm going a long way it doesn't really matter um yes you've got to have a strong why i mean having that having that reason in the first place is fundamental um when you're in those dark places but i think probably a bigger thing goes all the way back to my childhood it's that i have an opportunity i have a freedom to discover as you said actually maybe i'm not worthless that i have potential or that all these challenges i had as a child don't hold me back and to surrender to that feels like this feels like surrendering to to life challenges and adversity and becoming a victim rather than you know taking control of those things um and so i think for me giving up on anything really goes against my values you know i've i've pushed on through challenges to the point i've ended up in hospital um and it's not a self-destruct mission as much as my doctor probably thinks it's it is sometimes but i think it is about having that control having that choice in life and i think when you're doing these challenges it is a lot about control it's about choice and it's about choosing to be and discover what you're capable of of doing and that's what endurance is for me, because whenever I do these things, I come back thinking, how the, how the hell did I, did I do that? Um, and it's known if I can overcome those things, I can probably overcome most things in life. Mm. You must have got to, like, speaking from my perspective and doing some pretty intense endurance stuff, you, you get to a very dark place in those. What has that been like for you? Like, what is, what's that? Like describe that place and what that looks like to you. Every time you get there, you kind of think that you couldn't get there again because when you're there, um, it's impossible to imagine it. It's impossible to imagine what's in the room until you open the door. And when you're there, all of this kind of positive talk now probably goes out the window. Um, 
but it's this sense of overwhelming almost this kind of detachment from yourself you know you feel very detached from from the world and that's when it's so easy to give up and why people people do um yeah it it can be quite terrifying because almost you feel very trapped in that situation um and it's very easy to make big decisions when things aren't going well you know um to quit you know when so much can change in a day or an hour or a week um and yeah it feels very much very kind of hopeless you know to the point that i've had breakdowns on mountains when i've just sold my heart out like a baby you know and it is very very hard to describe without being in it it's because when you're out of it you almost mentally detach it almost as a way of kind of ignoring the pain um so it's, it is very hard to describe unless people are, are there and it's obviously relative to each person um but it just feels like a hopeless place it feels like there is no direction you're in a box um and you know any strategies that you have tend to you, you really tend to find out what works when you're in the moment uh, and what doesn't um and what keeps me going through those i think ultimately it's a fear of failure it's a fear of being less than capable of and often it's it comes down to right, have i got a good excuse have i got a reason that i will be happy with telling people if it's just because I, I was in a bit of pain and didn't feel very good, I was a bit tired. I've been there before. I've been there, I've been through that before. And therefore, I know that I wouldn't necessarily be actually pushing the bar higher, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What have you learned about yourself in those moments? In those moments, I think... I mean, you've you've always got more in more in you than you think, and it is in there. You often just need to access it. Um, and I think it is that basic thing of of just we really are capable of so much more than we think. But often it is about just compartmenting that to one step, one mile, one chunk of the time, whatever is manageable for you. Um, and what I think. I like the most is that I just look like a normal person. I don't probably match the image of a typical adventure or ultra endurance person, but I like the fact that I have that capacity inside me. And when I when I really thrive is is when I am literally in the face of adversity, you know. And and the my free peaks run a few years ago was a perfect example of that, you know, because everything was working against me, but that's the one thing I'm most proud of because I was so close to calling quits. And my mantra is always just, you know, this too shall pass. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I know now on, on any race or any challenge that physically I might not be, I might not be anywhere near the top, but mentally that's when I'm at my strongest. Yeah. Nice. Love it. Really love that. What's on the horizon for you in terms of, uh adventures in terms of races in terms of challenges that you got set up well i'm having a bit of a, a mini identity crisis at the moment uh, i did a couple of races this last month um which i've only just got back to that after a year of long covid so i had long, well i had covid after a 100 miler in april last year 
Um, so I couldn't run or train properly for, for probably 10, 11 months. Do you reckon you had it during the 100 miler? Probably picked it up during the run or just before because some of my support runners ended up catching it as well. So we could pass that on as well as energy gels and water. Um, being that, Very considerate. Yeah. And being in that like energy kind of, uh, being in that kind of, you know, that, that energy kind of a deficit anyway made the impact far worse. And that's why I didn't probably did didn't recover like most normal healthy people would um and i've only really in sort of march time got back to training again so the fact that i'm racing again when i didn't know if i'd ever run again or train again is just a blessing and i i can't say that for granted um but i started running originally like on road you know sort of doing 5k to 10k and then half marathons and then a marathon and doing doing ultras never appealed to me at all um but then when i moved to the lakes i got more into running in the fells and the mountains and and that's my therapy you know that's what healed me and that's where i found the outdoors and that's why the lakes is my spiritual home um and so with, with that i lost a lot a lot of interest in the kind of events and racing um and I, i've done a few but i think to be able to do things that make a difference and that raise money for charity i kind of realized that i'm i'm not that interested in races because lots of people do them and it's about chasing numbers and chasing positions and then where do you go next and you're kind of being in a crowd which for me goes against why i discovered the outdoors in the first place and i'm going to do races for fun for fitness but i think you if you don't focus on one thing you're going to compromise everything and I did these kind of two races recently and I, I just didn't, I wasn't that motivated. I didn't really enjoy them. I felt like I was just a number. Um, saying that, I've got 110k uh, ultra on the 13 valleys in a couple of weeks, which I entered a while ago and I've not raced that distance. That's a bit of a, a, bit of a challenge, a bit of an unknown. Um, but I think next year I've got a few challenges I'm sort of working out at the moment. Um, which are going to be more my own style, which is kind of coming up with my own silly challenges. And did the Frog Graham round about a month ago, which is a 40-mile swim run around the Lake District. That was my comeback challenge after long COVID. And then in December, I'm going to Aconcagua, which is the highest peak in South America. So um, after seven years off, I'm, I'm sort of dipping my toe back into the high altitude mountains again and sort of seeing where that goes. Um, but I'm just trying to work out what I am. And I'm never going to be a top athlete. I could if I wanted to focus on it. I'm sure I could, but I want to be many other things. And it's, you know, where can I make my biggest impact in life? Um, I do have another goal for 2025, which is the biggest, scariest challenge that I've ever come up with, but I'm still working on that. So uh, keep tuned. Oh, the, the teaser. <laughs> Always have to leave a teaser. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the race piece is really interesting because you mentioned what really got you into this was essentially freedom, a sense of freedom to make your own choices and to do things that you want to do and to experience new things. And there's adventure racing and there's endurance, but it's still somewhat confined. And that's what also not 
maybe puts me off a little yeah it, it does put me off a little bit the the kind of idea that i am part of number even if there's only three people that will finish it yeah and the hundred people start and no one actually wants to do it but they're doing it out of a perverse sense of um, masochism it's like what's the like i want to do something more individual and i think that's where the mountains maybe play a role or something around that. yeah i mean i'm very performance you know motivated i am about results and i when i when i run i want to you know, I want to win. I want to finish top 10. I I don't do it. For, for me, a race is a race. Um, a training run is a training run. And I don't want to really want to race unless I know I want to do, do well. Um, and therefore, you know, I've got to accept that if I do race, I'm just going to be happy with, with doing it for that reason. As long as you're clear on your objectives. But I am very performance motivated. So... I've got to really focus on one or the other. And as you say, doing my own thing, coming up with these like ultra endurance things, um, where, you, where you have that uncertainty, you know, it's all up to you putting one foot in front of the other. Um, that's, that's what really brings me alive. Yeah. Nice, man. What a great place to wrap up. Where can people find out a little bit more about you follow you on social media your website anywhere else you want to send folk yeah it's been really good to chat and thank you again um i can talk about this stuff all day so thank you for listening um we'd love to hear from people as well and just to say if anybody has any questions or if i can help in any way uh been really happy to share yeah anything i've learned um any silly ideas of my own any wisdom i pinch up other people um but my website is probably the best place, uh, alexstemmyforth.com. My books are available on there as well. Uh, my email address and all my social media is linked on there. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or X, um, Facebook, all the normal places as well, if you search my name. And yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Perfect. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your time. Thank you.